And you're back with Encounter with God here on Faith FM, and I am just super keen to hear about all of Mon's uh, adventures <laughs> that she had while she was in college. That sounded like... I didn't know that guy was the... Like, because he came into the studio this morning, I shook his hand, and he seemed just, really nice, and then he sat down, and then you were like, and this is the president of Avondale College, and I was like, oh no. <laughs> what have I done? And he has now left the studio with my name and number, <laughs> I'm going to be hearing from him. Actually, I think when he pulls up my file, I won't be hearing from him. <laughs> so what was this about the library, Mon? Are we oh, allowed to share goodness. this one on air? Sure. It's been long enough now. I'm sure it's past like the, <laughs> you can't arrest me anymore for this. So, <laughs> um, and that was really awkward. Statute of limitations. Yeah, that's it. Statute of limitations. Yeah, it was actually really awkward because one day um, one of the one of the uh, faculty came up to me and asked me whether or not I would be um, a student representative for the student body, something like that, uh, for the following year. And at that point, I had I was already considering not coming back, and so I said I'd think about it. But I think it was that night that my friend and I um, we hid in the library uh, at closing time, and then spent the night running around the library doing commando roles and pretending we were special agents <laughs> <laughs> and running amok. Nothing, 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 uh, nothing naughty so you, you happened. Didn't vandalize or anything like that. You just well, slept we, in the I library. Didn't vandalize at that point. Um, oh. But yeah, we just r- ran around the library having a great time all night long and then fell asleep on the beanbags. Unfortunately, we did get caught because um, we were trying our darndest to stay awake. But right at the 11th hour, we actually fell asleep and the librarian came in to open the library in the morning and found us asleep on the beanbags. And it was just that horrific moment. We were lying there asleep and we suddenly felt the door, heard the door to the room we were in open and we realized we'd been watched. And we were like, oh no. And as soon as the door shut, we jumped up. And we had, we had to figure out how to get out of the library. And then I stuffed up because later that day I had to go back to get the things that I left behind. And I should have left it a few days because I, I walked in and I remember that moment when the bi- librarian looked up, saw me and had that moment of recognition. <laughs> she didn't remember my accomplice, but she remembered me, and so she dubbed me in. Uh, and the same faculty so it's member on your record. The same faculty member who had just asked me to be the student representative had to come and reprimand me. And I was like, I guess this means I'm not going to be the student rep anymore. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, Mon, anyway. what will we do with you? Mon, Mon, Mon. Take me back to school, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into our Bible study for the day. Before, I'm gonna... before we do that, before we Lyle, do, we, we have a bit of an announcement. Uh, so our quiz has been snapped up. Ooh, yes, it's it been has. answered by Tut from WA. Okay, we've well, got a West go. Aussie listening. We've had go three West, West Aussies What's here today. What's the time of the day in Western Australia right now? I'm ex- I don't know, but I'm extremely impressed that Tut from WA is listening because it's short, it's like two or three hours earlier, yes. which is so it's either not five ridiculous. or six a.m. Well, it's not ridiculous for us because we get up that time anyway, but for someone who doesn't, that is pretty pretty intense, and we're very impressed by you. Uh, so Tut, well, it's six minutes past five right now in. So, Perth. but if he, well, he would have been listening from four a.m. Yeah. Tut, are you like a radio show presenter yourself? Like, is that why you're up so early? Uh, but thank you for listening all the way from WA. We especially appreciate oh, yeah, a couple of, a couple of uh, special mentions to some people who called in who were not eligible for the prize because they already had one this month, or they got it wrong. Um, and so we had uh, Jennifer Clan who got it right on I think third attempt. Oh, good on her, Jennifer. Yeah. Nice, nice. And um, yeah, one or two others that. Get close, but not close enough. Yes. Always feel free to give us a call if you think By you the way, the answer. Yeah. The answer was... Camels! Yes. Yeah, which is quite amazing. They're so, all creatures. So Judges so. chapter 7 tells us there's a valley near the hill of Moreh where there were so many camels they couldn't be counted. Can you imagine? Like, 
a valley so stuffed chock block full of camels. Isn't that an amazing picture in your mind? Sounds like Outback, New, New, Outback Australia. No, no, no. I reckon you could number the ones in New South Wales. You just got to do it, but stick a bit of effort into it, put your back into it. You'll probably count them up. But this is like there's so many that couldn't be counted. Like to me, it feels like a swarm. Like you know when you have like a, a thick swarm of flies? In my mind, I'm picturing like shoulder to shoulder camel or hump to hump camel. Speaking of camel, one hump or two, Lyle, what do you prefer? Two. Two. Isn't that a dromedary then? Bactrian. Bact- Bactrian? Yes. There, there's a third kind? Uh, what are you thinking of? Dromedaries, Bactrians, and... Camels. Well, is, is a camel a Bactrian? We have, you have dromedaries, which are the one hump, and you have Bactrians, which are the two hump. You said there's a third kind? I'm sure there's lots of different oh, kinds uh, of camels. But those are... Co- oh, okay. Because um, I've never heard the word Bactrian before. So I just thought it was something else. Anyway, yeah. just ignore yeah. me. I didn't, That's right. I didn't finish school. 1.2 million camels in Australia. Wow. That's a lot. They did count them, see? They did. Anyway. I reckon that if it was in Bible times, they would have looked at that many camels and gone, yeah, no, we're not going to bother. That's true, And they actually. would say, too many to count. That's true, because they didn't have big, big numbers like a million back then. No, they would have numbered in thousands. Yeah. They were 77,000 times 10,000 times 10,000 kind of a thing. Anyway, Tut, you have won a copy of Nature's Superfoods, Simply Natural, Super Healthy, a wonderful cookbook, and uh, and you will get that in the post completely for free. And Lyle's showing me pictures of double-humped camel. I think I like the single hump as well. I like the the double-hump is just so random. It's like... Yeah, it looks like, a, it looks like know, an I accident, can, doesn't I it? I understand the whole concept of having a hump where you store you know fat and, and energy reserves and all these kind of things. But They stored water there. Isn't that why no, no, no. They're still fat and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the, 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 it's like, why, why two humps? <laughs> I don't know. It looks you know, comical though, doesn't it? Does it does. They're awesome creatures. Yeah. I, just, I just like the two Have humps. you ever ridden a camel? Yes, but only dromedaries. Okay, yeah. I've no, I don't know that I've... No, I've definitely never ridden a Bactrian camel. I may have seen them in zoos on occasions. I don't think I've ever seen one in real life. We I'd be like all of our All of our camels here in Australia are dromedaries, our... our um, the Australian feral camel. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's mind-boggling to think that we have feral camels in Australia. I think we've got like more wild camels than any country in the world, don't we? Yeah, and we import export them. Sorry, we export them to the Middle East. Anyway, we are way off track talking about camels and school and so forth. We are doing the book of Revelation, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, examining each verse and uh, digging through it. I've been having a great time. We've been talking about the, the seven different churches, working our way through those. So we had the message of the church in Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, and I think we're now up to the message to the church in Sardis, are we not? Oh, okay. Isn't that where we started yesterday, chapter three? It is. Mm. That's exactly where we are. And I was just reading about camels in Australia still. but Yeah, of course you are. Camels are cool. Interesting. Do you know, cam- right now, camel is like my favorite decor item. Really? Yeah, they're cool. They're cool looking. Bit of a problem in Australia. Um, and a couple of years ago, a $19 million, when, when they reached um, over the 1 million mark, they um, were seeing that the population would double every 8 to 10 years. <gasps> and uh, they spent $19 million in reducing the numbers. And upon the completion in 2013, the population was down to, was reduced to 300,000. Can I just ask, mm-hmm. how does one reduce the camel, camel population? Uh, lead at about two and a half thousand feet per second. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just wasn't, you know. Lead and copper. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um. Yeah. That's uh, camel steak. Anyone? <laughs> Are they clean like or that. unclean? They are unclean. The Bible says you okay. cannot eat dead camels. 
good. You shouldn't. Leviticus chapter 11, you will find that. Okay, Revelation chapter 3, and let's dig into this one. We were talking about the letter to the church in Sardis. We were reminding ourselves that, once again, here you have a problem with celebrity worship. Oh, is that... Is that, is that <coughs> Hang on, why is Sardis called Sardis? Because you've told us why Smyrna, Pergamon, and Thyatira are called what they are called. But Sardis is not Sardis for celebrities. Like sar- sardines? Is it because of sardines? No, it's is this, of sardines. Is, sardines, uh, is Sardis by the ocean, I wonder? Okay, let me just find you some information on Sardis here very quickly that you will find most fascinating. But while we're looking up the... Uh, the we this, were talking about celebrity worship, which is something were. that I, um, my friends and I for a long time now have coined a phrase called pastor lust, and that's how celebrity worship um, takes form in within the church, in the Christian church. So, yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a following behind celebrity pastors, so to speak. Sardis means remaining. Oh, remaining. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, basically what you've got here is that Jesus... Introducing himself to this church, as he did to the church in Ephesus, he speaks of himself as being he that holds the seven stars, who holds the, the leadership in his right hand. Uh, the message that is going out here is a very, very clear message. Don't follow the leadership. Follow the one who holds them, because without Jesus Christ, without the one who holds them, they're nothing. They're powerless without Jesus. And so focus on the one who, fo- who holds them, rather than focusing on the individual church leaders and you know the celebrity pastors and all this kind of thing, and so it's the same message. You know, this was an important message going out to the church in Ephesus because they had the danger of following the apostles rather than following Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and of course in Sardis they have the danger of following you know the great leaders of the Reformation of the 16th century rather than following Christ. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. And so what you've got is the Reformation was such an incredible event that took place back then in you know the 16th century. It had such a, a, a powerful impact on the whole world for God and for Christianity. And it was based around very, very influential and powerful leaders. So you had people like John Knox, you had John Wesley, you had, you know, it was a later reformer, of course, but uh, the 16th century reformers, you had John Knox, you had Martin Luther, you had Ulrich Zwingli, um, you had uh, your various British reformers, you know, so many, so you know, Huss and Jerome, who were kind of pre-reformers, uh, John Wycliffe. Um, all of these guys, and people came to look to these individuals rather than to look to Jesus Christ. And because of that, what happened was that they would only ever move as far as the individual moved. And so with um, with Martin Luther, for instance, they even went as far as naming themselves after him. Oh, dear. You know, that's really um, a, a pretty full-on celebrity worship when you that call is, yourself yeah. a Lutheran mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because that's proclaiming you know and this is nothing against Lutherans but you need to stop and think about what are you proclaiming when you proclaim yourself as a Lutheran yeah it certainly sends a message to the world that you are a follower of Martin Luther I'm not a Lutheran even though I agree with a lot of what Luther said I am a Christian yeah I follow Jesus Christ 
I don't follow Martin Luther or any other human being. I follow Jesus Christ and what the Bible says. Amen. And that's what's important. Yeah, because I know? agree with a lot of what you say, but I'm not about to call myself a Lilian. Really? <laughs> You're so disappointed, aren't you? <laughs> Just gutted. And I'm certainly not starting a church. A lilac. Of lilacans. Yes, and it seems absurd when we say like that. You've been thinking about your big TV mm-hmm. um, evangelists that we have in our world today that you know have this massive celebrity status, you know, and if they, it'd be like starting a church, you know, and calling yourself an Alstenian or something or other. Oh yes, yes. You know, and and. and they have celebrity followings. There's no question about that. It's not necessarily their fault. I mm-hmm. think that sometimes they definitely cultivate that, yep. which is wrong to do, but um, but not always and not all of them. Isn't that what Oprah's doing? She's starting her own church? Or is that still just a rumor? As far as I know, that's still a rumor. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but if uh, you've got information that uh, counteracts that, then you know what our number cool. is. 1-800-324-843 is the number. Um, and share that information with us. But this is a this is a problem that we have in our world today. You know, we have a major event happening here in Newcastle in a few weeks' time, where we have a major TV evangelist coming out to Australia from the United States, um, and we're going to be interviewing him here on Faith FM. We are. Yes. Who? John Bradshaw. Oh, right, 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 right. Yep, yep. And yep. you know, a lot of people, you know, they just sort of. Fall apart like, oh, it's John Bradshaw. He's on TV. He's you know a, a global evangelist. Your entourage. Can I admit right now that I actually have no idea who John Bradshaw is? <laughs> I'm really sorry to burst that bubble. But do you he's know what? the uh, director speaker for It Is Written Television. Wait, wait, wait. Is this the guy that you and your uh, wife used to hang out with before you guys got married? The three of you were a bit of a, a trio. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, John and I go back a long way. Yeah, so okay. He's yeah. coming to Australia, so we're going to have him here. On I didn't realize he was hugely him. famous. I just thought he was like your mate. <laughs> Bit of both. There you go. Bit See, of I can, I can, Lyle's I can, rubbing shoulders I can, I can name drop here on Faith <laughs> FM. But you know what? Like, in all but that illustrates the whole foolishness of the whole thing because every human being, whether it's um, Pope Francis or John Bradshaw or you or myself, we are all human beings. We are all weak, failing human beings who are in need of the grace of God every single day. Amen. And none of us can get you to heaven. Um, only Jesus can get you to heaven. None of us have been to heaven. And I, and I do I do think, in all seriousness, that this this tendency that humans have to worship something is because we were made to worship. We have we have you know a, a place within our psyche that we we want to fill with something that we worship, and if we're not filling it with Jesus, we're not filling it with God. We will fill that with something else, be it hero worship or you know possessions worship or whatever it is. It's going to be filled with something. Yeah, absolutely. Let's read about. Um, well, let's go to the end of this verse here in verse one. It says, "I know that your works, that you have a name, that you live." And you are dead. Now, I want, to, I want you to think for a moment about the churches that grew out of the Great Reformation of the 16th century, because this is really directed at those churches. They have now grown and developed. They are a couple of hundred years down the track, and they have died. So we have the oh, well, the Lutherans haven't died off, have they? What about the Methodists? Is that the Lutherans? One? The Lutherans coined the word or originated the word Protestant. When uh, the protest of protest, the princes, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and yes, um, in two thousand and seventeen, they declared the end to the protest. Oi! Does that mean they declared themselves no longer an existing church? Then, no, they just declared an end to the protest against Rome. 
But anyway, be that aside, be, be that as it may, churches do tend to follow these cycles, and we, and all churches need to be very aware of them, where they start off, they're fresh, they're on fire, they are doing great things for God, and then they mature, and then they um, institutionalize, and then they die, spiritually die. So the, the name remains great name, but they're spiritually dead. And if you look at the Reformation churches of the 16th century, you know, um, the Lutheran church, great name because of the great things that Martin Luther did, mm. They didn't move past Martin Luther because they, you know, they stopped in their growth at where Martin Luther was, and so they've got this name, but they're dead. Uh, you look at the Reformed Church, great name. We all want Reformation. Yes, we do. But the Reformation stopped, and they died. You look at the Methodist Church. Um, the Methodists were called Methodists because they had a method of Christianity. And this was a method where you would get up in the morning and you'd spend an hour with God every day and you would, you know, go to prayer meeting during the week and you'd go to church on on Sundays and all of these kind of things. There was Still a whole a great method. method. It's a great mm-hmm. method. It's a fantastic method. You'd memorize Bible passages. You'd be part of a missionary society. Um, this was all a part of being, you know, the, you weren't doing these things to be saved. You were doing them because you were saved. And so it's a great name. Um, it proclaims a great message. And yet, it's dead. You look at the Puritans. What a fantastic name. Yeah. Where are the Puritans? Have you ever seen a Puritan church? Not once in my life. Exactly. And, you know, aspiring to purity is, is just, you know, that's amazing. Um, and, and so on. You can, and you can go through all of these churches one after another, and they have these great names. And this is something that we need to be aware of because we have a great name too. Um, at Faith FM, we're a part of the Seventh Day Adventist Church. Mm, yes, and you know, within that, we worship. You know, obviously on the seventh day, which is a great thing because that's what the Bible speaks about. And we're looking forward to the Advent or the return of Jesus Christ, which is fantastic. Absolutely, it really is, and absolutely worthless if we don't know Jesus and we're spiritually dead. And this is the message that's coming out of the letter to the church in Sardis. Mon, why don't you read for us verse 2, please? Verse 2 says, Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Okay, so here we've got a very, very strong message given to the church during this time period where they're told to wake up and to strengthen those things that remain. So there is something left here that is really, really good and they need to hang on to and they need to strengthen it because they are in in mortal danger of losing it. So we need to look at that time period of history. Once again, the churches symbolize um, seven different time periods down through history. Now we are post-1798. Now we are early 1800s, and we're going to put the date on this one up to about the year 1833. Okay. Uh, now we're at a period where we have to look at the Reformation churches, which are you know, really holding the truth of God and preserving the truth of God in the world and ask ourselves the question, what did they have across the board, universally held by all of these churches, that they were in danger of losing. Now, there was a number of key elements that all Protestant churches had in common. Let's consider them. The first was the principle of sola scriptura. That simply means the scriptures or the Bible alone, as they rule the faith and practice. Um, The second great principle that came out of uh, the Reformation was salvation by grace 
alone. The third great principle that came out of the Reformation, um, which was universal across all Protestant churches, was the historical interpretation of Bible prophecy. And so the historical interpretation of Bible prophecy goes like this. Bible prophecy has been fulfilled in the past. It is being fulfilled in the present, and it will be fulfilled in the future. We're going to come back right after Torin Wells to talk about what they lost. That was Torin Wells with Known here on Faith FM, and we are digging into this subject of uh, the letter to the church in Sardis. 
We have been finding that the church in this time period from 1798 to 1833 was in danger of losing something. We need to discuss what it was that they were in danger of losing. And we find that they did not reject their concept of the scriptures alone. We find they did not reject their concept of salvation by grace alone. But this was the period in which suddenly and dramatically they changed their concept of understanding Bible prophecy. And for the first time, the Roman Catholic Jesuit doctrines of Futurism and preterism began to creep into the Protestant church. You had uh, some very uh, specific and targeted strategies to make this happen. You had uh, the Oxford movement, the Tractarians and so forth. John Henry Newman, who converted across to Catholicism from Anglicanism. Um, and became a cardinal there. And, uh, you know, this was, this was a period in which uh, you had uh, the writings of, say, people like Emmanuel Lacunza and Francisco Ribera, who were Jesuit priests who were brought across into Protestantism to be read and understood. You had the conversion of Cyrus Schofield, the writing of the Schofield Bible, John Darby, uh, the Plymouth Red, Edward Irving, Margaret MacDonald with the um, Rapture, uh, dreams and revelations and so forth. This was all taking place during this time period. And what happened was that all Protestant churches had looked in the Bible and looked at the identifying characteristics that the Bible gives for the Antichrist and said, well, that's the Roman Catholic Church. And now they said, wait a minute. Over the last several hundred years, we got this wrong. We should be saying, no, that the, the, the Antichrist either lived uh, in the distant past, and this was all fulfilled under the Roman Empire, that's preterism, that Nero was the Antichrist, or these prophecies are all fulfilled in the distant future, and you know either which way we don't need to worry about them, and are all fulfilled during a seven-year tribulation at the very end of time. So this was the direction that they went, and suddenly you have this environment in which the Protestant churches suddenly become incredibly destabilized in relationship to their understanding of Bible prophecy. And now they have kind of no idea what they believe. And it doesn't. T- it takes them more than 150 years to really to actually stabilize somewhat on the, you know, primarily in the United States, on the futuristic view of Bible prophecy. To the point that the Protestant historical view uh, has almost been forgotten. You can preach you know, the historical view of Bible prophecy today, and most Christians will be like, wow, mm-hmm. where did you get this from? I've never heard this before. This is amazing. That was literally my reaction when I first heard it, in, in my mid-20s, beca- no less. And that's because of the, uh, the, the how, how futurism took over the, the, the Christian church. That's that's a direct result of it, right there. It's very sad. It is very sad because it, um, you know, we need to have a solid biblical foundation for everything that we believe in. Yeah, and there is no solid biblical foundation for futurism or preterism. It's it's sad because for me, prophecy was a large part of what totally changed my perspective of Christianity and what totally. Like it changed my life because growing up, you know, I heard you know just nice stuff. You know, God is love. God is love. God is love. But for me, that was nothing that I could particularly. Use as a firm it wasn't foundation. Tangible. Yeah, it wasn't a firm foundation that I could build my life on, and so it never really felt like something solid. It just was, you know, this shaky sort of concept of, you know, love. Which looking at the world, love is, you know, fleeting, 
And so it wasn't until I heard prophecy and, and realized you could sit down with a calculator and encyclopedia and you could like do your maths and it came out the same time, the same way every time. It was something that, you know, that couldn't, couldn't, it wouldn't fall apart because it wasn't an emotion, or, you know, or, or, or anything as, as fluffy as just the concept of love in and of itself. And it was because of that that made me believe that God really did love me because I could see that he'd had his hand controlling and guiding the world the whole time. So, yeah, it's, it's a firm foundation. So prophecy really is important. Absolutely. And um, this was something that was lost during this time. This, this was where the rot really set in. Up until this particular point, Protestantism had given no credibility whatsoever at all to um, any kind of uh, you know, futuristic or preteristic um, concepts that had been invented by the Jesuits out of thin air. But this is where it all really came into. And as a result, prophecy ceased to have its same relevance and, and pretty much disappeared. Uh, and, and in most of those, uh, it's actually incredibly rare in a Reformation-era church, you know, Anglican, Lutheran, um, Presbyterian, Methodist, um, uniting, whatever, to hear people preaching on the books of Daniel and Revelation. They used to preach on this stuff a lot, and the reason they preached on it a lot was because they had a solid foundation in it. You bring in in futurism and preterism, that solid foundation is gone, and people stop talking about it. Okay, verse 3 for us, Mon. Revelation 3, verse 3. says, Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly, as unexpected as a thief. Okay, so here we have, uh, we mentioned this yesterday, there's an escalation in references to the return of Christ, and here we have um, this warning that, you know, Jesus is going to come as a thief unless they uh, turn around and and repent. Um, and, you know, they're, 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 they're told to remember, you know, what they've received and heard and hold it fast. Okay, what have we got for us there in verse 4? Yet there are some churches, sorry, Yet there are some in the church at Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Okay, so what do white clothes symbolize? Purity. Whose purity? Christ's purity. You're wearing white today, Mon. Well, I'm saved. <laughs> <laughs> not because of what you are wearing. No, not at all. But because you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Which is interesting because, you know, that's why the brides wear white because it represents yeah. original purity. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's and, 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 it's, and it's what it says in the Bible if you go over to Revelation chapter 19. Uh, Revelation 19 and let's read verse 7 and 8. If you could read that one first. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She had been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's people. So you're telling me that this whole bridal white is actually uh, from the it's Bible? A biblical concept. Hey, there yeah. you go. Having said that, it's only a very modern concept. Oh, is it really? Yes. Uh, so the bride in white sort of goes back about 150 years or so. Oh, so it's not that old. No, it's not old at all. But still biblical, isn't that But it's biblical. Isn't that interesting? Even new sort of, you know, traditions are still based in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Yep. I think it's great. I think it's a, I think um I think the white wedding dress looks amazing. I think that's because you like white. Yeah, it's my favorite color. Yeah. But I did go to a wedding once that was a gothic wedding where the bride wore black with red trimming. Mhm. 
and uh, it was actually quite stunning. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, beautiful dress. So, hey. Uh, Wait, what do you want? That's it. It's your wedding. Uh, but we do have this tradition. It's interesting how this tradition has become kind of worldwide too. It is, isn't it? Uh, in China. Yeah, but even in places like China, you'll often find that they'll have you know a number of different dresses that's that they true. will wear, and yeah. one of them will be a white wedding dress, yeah. and that's usually the one they wear for the service. It's like a little switcheroo. Um, you go to Southeast Asia, you go to Africa, you go to South America, you go all over the world today, and there's the, the white wedding dress is there often combined with mm-hmm. a traditional um, traditional garment, wedding garment yeah. garment as well. Yeah, yeah. Which is, um, yeah. I really like the Indian wedding outfits that they have. Oh, very colourful, so pretty. I love it. Very, and you get all that stuff painted on your hand. Henna, yeah, 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 henna. At least it washes off. We're off topic. We are off topic. <laughs> okay, but as we come to the close of this Bible study, may we all receive the white clothing today, yes. which is symbolic of the righteousness of Christ. May Jesus live in every one of our hearts. May we be like the overcomers of Sardis. If we're honest If we're honest If we're
listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Seventh-day Adventist Church is making a difference in its community. Oh yeah, how? Well, it's worshipping together, loving together, learning together, and above all, preparing for Jesus to return together. Ooh, that sounds good. When's all this happening? Bible study start at 10 a.m., service at 11 a.m., and guess what that's followed by? Or is it this free lunch I keep hearing about? Absolutely. Well, please join us at the Hamilton Seventh-day Adventist Church. Our address is 105 Lindsay Street, Hamilton, New South Wales. Every Saturday morning where you will be welcomed with a smile. Makosa yetu, hey, 
You're listening to Christopher Tin and the Soweto Gospel Choir with uh, the Lord's Prayer. In Love that song. I happen to have requested it. <laughs> <laughs> Great thing about being a radio host, you can request your own songs. Well, people can request their songs. Give us a call, 1-800-224-843. Oh, yeah. There's a special song you want to hear, then uh, we, will, we will, won't we will make any promises, but if we can find it, we will... Um, Absolutely. If it's possibly. one you've already heard, we actually yeah. have someone if else it's, If it's up. one you've already heard here on Faith FM, then yeah, give us a call and request it through. And another, another one of our songs earlier was a request, actually. Someone messaged through, so yeah. Ah, one of the nice. new ones from Anna Beaton's latest album. Very nice. What have we got for question of the day today, Mon? Yes, today is a great question. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed the picture that we stuck up on social media last night regarding it. Um, the question is this, Lyle. Mm-hmm. So, does God wipe our memory when he wipes our tears after the great controversy? Okay, so let me read you the longer version of this question. Is God going to wipe our memories once we have been saved so we will have no recollections of sin, earth, or our life on it? Okay, that's a very valid question, and it really originates from the passage in Revelation chapter 22. Let me read to you this. It kind of draws out of two different parts of the Bible, but it does confuse a couple of issues. The Bible says here in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now when the Bible says the former things have passed away, it does not mean that the memories have passed away. God brings comfort to us. He wipes our tears away. There will be no more death, pain, suffering, you know, all of those kind of Forever after this point, there will be no pain anywhere in the universe. But we do need to understand why it is that there will never be sin and therefore never be pain in the universe again. The thing that guarantees that sin and therefore pain will never exist in the universe again is the memory of what sin caused in the past. Now, if you take away the memory of that, then you run the risk of it coming back again. So it works a little bit like this. God could wipe away our tears and also at the same time remove our power of choice. Sin would never come back. We don't have the choice to sin. The problem with doing that is that the moment you remove the power of choice, then you have also eradicated the existence of love. And God is never going to eradicate love because God is love. So the power of choice will always remain, which means that it will always be possible for sin to come back through someone again. That possibility will never disappear. Only by maintaining that possibility can love be maintained. All right, so how do you then guarantee that it's never coming to come back? The way that you guarantee it is by the memory of what sin caused last time around and the contrast between living in a life of a world of sin and living in a universe that is free from sin so that contrast is what guarantees that sin will never come back again okay great which is you make sense and everything but you said there's gonna be no more pain no more crying but some memories are painful and cause you to cry so how can you how can you escape it seems it's gonna be one or the other right yeah for sure and i think this is where some of the misunderstanding comes in now the bible says that god will take away our tears and he will take away our pain Um, The Bible does not say he will take away our memories. Now, how does God take away our tears and our pain? I don't really know. Is it 
the simple, uh, I, I, I guess, reality that, you know, a thousand years have passed and you think about painful memories, you know, even that I have of, you know, for instance, when I was 12 years old and my mother passed away, now I'm 46 years old and the pain dulls over time. You know, and, and, and a thousand years from now, I will still be able to remember that my mother passed away, but, you know, she'll be standing right there in front of me. So, you know, that pain is going to be a very different kind of a pain, uh, a, a painful memory, because I'll be able to recognize that that pain was for a very short moment of time. At the same time, I will never want that to come back again because I remember it. And so I, there's probably a, a number of different ways that God helps us deal with our pain, um, just as we as human beings help each other deal with pain here on this earth at this time. And we should definitely have faith that when God says uh, heaven is a wonderful place of joy and happiness, that we should trust that's exactly what it's going to be. Thank you so much for asking questions. If you have a Q of the D, give us a call. Our number, of course, is 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Ask us anything you want.
back to Faith FM. It's the end of the breakfast show with Lyle and Mon. We are giving away one amazing book this morning, Lyle. Very excited about this one. Yes, what indeed. What is God Like by Barry Harker. So Dr. Barry Harker did a four-part series of interviews with us here yes, recently. Yes, he did. He did. Um, just one of the most... Just a sensational brain that this guy has. I, I, I wish I had half of his brain. Yeah. I'll take the other half. <laughs> nothing of him left, but hey. Uh, we were just talking about the character of God, essentially. We you know, when we talk about, you know, Jesus, God wiping away our tears and what heaven's going to be like, that's a direct reflection of God's character. Absolutely. So this book, What God is Like, is going to delve deeper into that. On the back, it says, The character of God, the nature of his government, and his responses to sin and evil are matters of universal importance. Yet tradition and misinterpretation have largely obscured what the scripture teaches about God and his principles of dealing with sin. So this is a really interesting book. Very uh, I, I want to say it's easy to read but it's still in depth. Yeah. So yeah, get a, get a copy of this book. What is God like? Barry Harker. We have one copy to give away this morning. Dr. Barry Harker. Dr. Barry Harker. Uh, give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM. It's 1-800-324-843. First person through will get a copy of this. And we'll be back um uh, tomorrow morning, of course, with um, with much, much more here on Faith FM. But before we go to uh, the next show, we do want to remind you that if you'd like to know more about the Bible, then give us a call, 1-800-324-843, and we will, um, we, we will make a, a way available so that you can understand the Bible more successfully for yourself. Amen. And that's what it's all about, is really teaching people to be able to understand the Bible and to read the Bible and to and to just be blessed by what they study in the Bible. So if you'd like to study in a small group or in a uh, uh, one-on-one or any other kind of uh, situation, just give us a call and we'll make it happen. And of course, uh, if you are interested in coming to Mon's Pamper and Pool Party, it's a ladies' fundraiser that we're having for my Africa trip, which is next week, Lyle. This time next week will be my final show for a couple of months while we go on our trip to Africa. Give us a call here, 1-800-FAITH-FM. It's a ladies' luncheon and you're all invited. So have a wonderful day. We'll see you tomorrow morning.